thank you and uh, thank you for being here and thank you for those who have participated in this study. It's been very good so far. This is the last in the series and my responsibility is to uh, discuss the Christian's response to critical race theory. We're going to do this by looking at various aspects of the theory and just ask how, what's biblical? How do we respond to that? So firstly, I'd say, how should we respond to the charge of racism? It is never comfortable to be called a racist. The reason is because it is dishonest. And so when someone calls you a racist, they're accusing you of wrong. To judge someone guilty without knowing whether it is true or not is uh, dishonest and it shrieks the person whom you accuse because it's not just. In James chapter 2, James says, If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, there also comes in a man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say, You sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, You stand over there, sit down at my footstool. You have, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? When we are accused of a racist, we're judging people or we're opposing people based on a preconceived notion. In this case, they were basing their uh, accusation against this man uh, based on his clothes. In other words, a person coming in with dirty clothes uh, cannot be a very righteous person, and the person in the finer clothes must be actually the more righteous. Well, of course, we know that's not the truth, not true at all. You know, Peter was uh, uh, accused when he went and preached to the house of Cornelius. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 2, it says, When Peter comes up from Jerusalem, they that were with uh, they, of the circumcision con contended with him, saying, You went and uncircumcised, uncircumcised men and ate with them. So uh, we know, of course, that began the gospel to the Gentiles, and as time went on, there was this great uh, argument whether the Gentiles were actually accepted upon the same basis. And in Acts chapter 15, hear what we read at verse 8. And God, who knows the hearts, and testified to them, giving uh, them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us, and he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. He said, you know what? There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, and uh, so therefore you shouldn't uh, make a distinction between them. There's no distinction between, shouldn't be a distinction made between a man that is dirty, that is, has dirty clothes, and a man that has rich clothes. You don't know the circumstances of that individual. In Galatians chapter 2, when Peter had joined himself with those who were separating themselves from the Gentiles, we read this at verse 11, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Paul opposed him to his face, says, because he was in the wrong. Brethren, it is clearly wrong when we make distinctions that God does not make. And God does not care whether uh, you're, uh, which side of the tracks that you live on. God does not care whether your skin is very dark or medium dark or very light or medium dark. God doesn't care the color of your skin. And we dishonor people when we make distinctions of such. 
When we look at them and we say, well, that man is really white or that man's really dark. And uh, we determine the character of his life. In James 2 at verse 8, if however you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's every neighbor as yourself. Not, okay, love the white neighbor and not the black neighbor, or love the uh, black neighbor, not the white neighbor, uh, or not the brown neighbor. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. You know, this idea of judging or responding to racism sometimes is very difficult. And sometimes the difficulty is just the way we are raised, things that we were taught. Sometimes it's difficult because of the circum some circumstance that we have uh, endured, something that's happened to us. Many years ago when we lived in Sanger, California, there was a brother there named Kenneth Stamps. And he had a very hot, hard time not just having terrible feelings uh, toward Asian people. He said he had a hard time walking on the same side of the street with them. Well, the reason is because when he was in the Korean War, he said he saw these uh, Korean or Asian soldiers and everybody, you know, looked, they were Asian, kind of looked like them. And he saw them kill babies by throwing the babies into the air and letting them come down upon their bayonet. Well, of course, we know that uh, people he saw on the street in Sanger, California, uh, most of them probably had never been in the Korean War and uh, were not guilty of that very same thing. Now, Brother Stamps knew that it was wrong. And he worked hard not to have those same feelings, but that was something that uh, was in him because of uh, some circumstance. So we just have to fight against that. Now, when someone uh, calls us a racist, how do we respond? Well, we first of all ask, have we, been, have we judged them unjustly? Are we just uh, judging them based on something we saw them do and we know their character or just on some kind of uh, outward appearance. Number two, how should we respond to the accusation of privilege? This accusation of privilege refers to economic privilege. So let me start by saying there is uh, things much more valuable than economic privilege. But for now, we're talking about this idea of economic privilege. How should we respond to economic privilege? Well, first of all, if we are privileged, and everyone here is privileged, uh, we admit we're privileged. We admit that we have things, things far above the necessary things of life. And we thank God for that and we give God the glory for that. We're not privileged, contrary to what uh, we're taught by this critical race theory, we're not privileged because our ancestors owned slaves. And we're not disadvantaged just because uh, our ancestors didn't own slaves or uh, our ancestors were the slaves. That's not, uh, It's not because of our ancestors. Our privilege is because of God. It's because of God blessing us or not. I'd like to notice the parable of the talents. And we've referenced that already in this study. Uh, but Matthew 25, verse 15, to one he gave five talents, 
Verse 16 says, the man who received the five talents. How did the man get five talents? Well, the master gave him five talents. He gave him, he gave the one five talents. He gave the one two talents. He gave the one one talent. But it was all because of what the master determined or thought that should have uh, been. Interestingly enough, uh, with the one talent man, after he just hides his talent in the earth, he says, uh, the, the master says, well then, you should have put my money. He calls it my money. He said, you should have put my money on deposit. You should have got some interest for my money. In James chapter 4, James gives us the proper view. He says in verse 13, now listen, you who say today and tomorrow, we will go and do this or that, uh, go into this or that city, spend a year, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? It is a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. We ought to say, if the Lord allows it. Nothing wrong with making plans, nothing wrong with determining how that you can make a good living and make money, but if the Lord wills, if the Lord plans it, uh, allows it. Now in Matthew chapter 6, of course, there's quite a bit in this chapter uh, about money, but he says, you cannot serve two masters, either you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other, you cannot serve God and money. Then he says, I tell you that not even Solomon, uh, this is verse 29, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He says, I can't serve God in money. Then he talks a little bit about money. He says, but now consider, consider the lilies of the field. Uh, Solomon, now how did, how did Solomon get his money? How did Solomon get that glory? Remember Solomon, when he was uh, anointed as king, he was young, and his goal, his prayer was that he would be a good king and lead the children of Israel in a good way. And God said, because you, uh, and be wise, and God said, because of this, I'm going to make you wise, and I'll also make you rich. And he became the richest man in the world. Then, in verse 30 says uh, that if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what we shall eat or what we shall drink or what we shall wear. For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things will be added to you. All these things will be given to you as well. God knows what you need. And if we put him first, he will provide for us. You know, uh, David said a long ago, uh, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. God provides. In uh, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, in uh, as uh, the rich man lifted up his eyes and says, well, you know, send Lazarus back. You know what Abraham said to the rich man? He said, 
Some remember in your lifetime you received good things. Again, they received. Likewise, Lazarus, bad things. But now he is comforted and you are in agony. God is in control. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 19. Moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possession and enable him to enjoy, enjoy them, to accept his lot and be happy in his work, this is a gift from God. Then in chapter 6 of Ecclesiastes, verse 2, God gives a man wealth, possession, and honor so that he lacks nothing. Uh, his heart desires, but God does not enable him to, enable him to enjoy them, and a stranger enjoys them instead. This is meaningless and a grievous evil. But it's still, God is in control. You know, sometimes people say, well, uh, you were just born in privilege. Well, I can tell you, I was born in privilege. Uh, I was born in privilege once in the economic sense, not my parents were a long way from being rich, but we had plenty of food and clothing and shelter. But I was born in privilege because I had a father and mother who provided and cared and taught us righteousness. That's the most important thing in this uh, world. And I wouldn't trade money, uh, any amount of money, for that. Riches, if we're, even if you're born in privilege, riches are a fleeting thing. You could be born to the richest family in the world, and God can take it away in one day. Remember Job, the, the greatest man of the East, the Bible says. And it names all how many cattle and how many camels and so on. And uh, all was taken away. Timothy chapter 6, first Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 through 12. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, uh, we will be content with that. People who uh, want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men in ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. Is it worth it? If you desire money and the money uh, takes you away from your service to God. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold on the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. As I said, all of us have been, are privileged. We all have uh, quite, a, quite a bit, especially compared to the rest of the countries of the world. But as Glenn has noted, uh, probably a couple times. Luke 12, verse 48 says, Everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted much, much more will be asked. Remember the five-talent man? He was expected, more was expected of him than the two-talent man or the one-talent man. God gives us money that is, God blesses us so that we may bless others. That's what Paul writes to the Corinthians in First and Second Corinthians chapter, really just chapter 8 and chapter 9. But I'd like to read you chapter 9, verse 12. This service that you perform is 
thank is uh, not only supplies the need of God's people, but is also overflowing into many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. You know, when we uh, use the things that we have to bless others, it not only is a blessing to them, but it glorifies the Father because they will thank God for the blessing that you have been in their life. Now, privilege also takes some diligence. Privilege takes some work. You know, James didn't say, now, if you, go, if you say, well, I'm going to go into this city, this or that city, and I'm just going to bum around and uh, see if God will provide for me. That's not how we do commerce. In fact, Paul writes to the Thessalonians, and he says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet and peaceable life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you. Acts chapter 20 says, I have coveted, Paul says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Yourselves know that these hands have ministered to my needs and to the men that were with me. And in everything, I showed you that by working hard, in this manner you must help the weak. And remember the words of our Lord Jesus, in that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So how should we respond to privilege? We should thank God for it and use it to his glory. Number three, how do we respond to the demands of reparations? So what do we mean by reparations? Well, reparations means the making of amends of a wrong one has been done by paying money to or otherwise helping those who have been wrong. We ask. In other words, here's what we do. We ask again. Have we wronged someone? If there, have been, if there are demands of reparation, have we wronged someone? And if we have, we do our best to right that wrong, to fix the situation. What if someone has not wronged us? They're asking for reparations. They're asking for uh, some... Uh, Pay, payment of money from us when we haven't wronged them. They haven't done us any service. They just want us to pay something for we uh, something that for, for what we have not done. So how do we respond to evil, I think, is the real question there. In Matthew 5, verse 39 through 42, But I say to you, do not resist evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks you, do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Luke 6 at verse 30, Give to everyone that asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Romans chapter 12, verse 11, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, 
but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not pay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now that's, a, that's the statement we need to keep in mind. Don't, don't be overcome uh, by evil. Overcome evil with good. In other words, don't let what someone demands of you to cause you to do something that is wrong. Now he says that vengeance is mine. God says, then I'll pay, I'll pay these people back. I'll, I'll take care of that. We don't have to as Christians. And the word uh, vengeance means payback or retribution or uh, revenge. You know, retribution and reparation have a very similar definition. Retribution is, again, uh, getting someone back for what they've done to you that was wrong. Reparations is paying back someone that did something to you what, uh, that is wrong. Now, revenge could take the place, you know, an eye for an eye. That's revenge. Reparations would be, oh, you knocked out my eye, so therefore you need to support me the rest of my life. I need some money for that. I need reparations. Well, uh, how do we respond to the demands for reparations? Well, we don't owe them anything, but uh, if we don't owe them anything, we, we still don't resist if they do us evil. And uh, we let God take care of the, of the justice of it all, because he will. Vengeance belongs to him. You know, while we're on this uh, subject of reparations, Slavery seems to be the real argument on reparations. They always say, well, you know, because uh, black people were enslaved and white people were the masters, it's the white people, that's really their argument, the white people need to pay reparations. You, white people are privileged, and you're so privileged you don't even know you're privileged. And uh, if you say all lives matter, they will say, see there, that's a proof that you are racist and that you're privileged because you say all lives matter and you're not acknowledging your privilege. You're privileged, but you're not acknowledging your privilege. So uh, it, it all goes back to this idea of slavery. And I think we need to take just a moment and look at what does the Bible say about slavery? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, at verse 21, were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it. But if you are able also to be free, rather do that. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freeman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You are bought with a price and do not become slaves of men. What about that? So there were slaves in New Testament times. There were Christians that obeyed the gospel that were slaves. What were they to do? Well, they were to be good slaves. They were to do the best they could in service to their master. 
First Timothy chapter 6 at verse 1, all who are under the yoke as slaves are to regard their own masters as worthy of all honor so that the name of God and our doctrine will not be spoken against. What? If, if you're a slave, be a good slave. And if you're a bad slave, in other words, if you don't serve the master uh, in a good way, there's a mark on Christianity. Well, that slave, he doesn't, he doesn't act right. He doesn't uh, give me a day's wages. Those who have believing masters, now there were masters also in the days of the apostles. That is, they owned slaves. Do not show less respect to them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to ser uh, serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge uh, on them. A little bit later in this reading, Paul said, Men of corrupt minds who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means of financial gain. That's part of the problem. We look at, like James says, you know, we look at the people of privilege and we say, Wow, uh, God really loves them a lot better than he loves us. Uh, and that's just not fair. Well, of course, that's not true at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. Galatians 2, verse 28. Ephesians. Uh, well, both, both of those passages teach us that it doesn't matter whether we're slave or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. But Ephesians 6 and 9 says, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both the ma your master uh, and theirs are in heaven, and there is no favoritism with God. He says God is over the slave, God is over the master, and he's not going to show favoritism. Whoever serves him well will be benefited. And also, we've noticed this just a little bit already, but we need to be content. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6 and 8, and having food and raiment, let us be content. In fact, he said on one occasion, I have learned to be content. It's something we need to learn. But what is our motive? What is the modern day motive? If someone comes and says, well, you need to demand reparations because uh, that man's great-great-great-grandfather did your great-great-great-grandfather a disservice. Where's the motive there? It doesn't seem like the motive, at least in the modern-day situation, comes from the economic situation. Not all black people are poor. Some black people are way wealthier than we are. Not all white people are rich. So the motive, the, the argument really is trying to create discontent based on greed. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages. Now that's what Jesus talked to you about earlier today. Look at verse 15. 
He says, don't I have a right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? King James says, is your eye evil? He said, wait a minute, you're being evil here. Because you're just being greedy. You're, you're trying to get something that was uh, more than what you agreed to. They agreed to work all day, and they were not cheated in any sense. He had just become, become generous to others. And so if we see a man who God's been great, he, he's just very privileged. You know, he's wealthier than all of us. We don't say, well, he needs to, he needs to share with me. No, he doesn't. Not if I'm not in need. What's his is his, and what's mine's mine. And he will be judged with how he uses his, and I will be judged to how I use mine. Well, let's listen to uh, the statement of Jesus. In Luke chapter 6 at verse 20, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus also said in Revelation 2 verse 9, I know your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. Then in Revelation 3, verse 17, Jesus says, Because you say I'm rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I advise you to buy of me gold tried in the fire so that you may become rich and white raiment that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed, and I said to anoint your eyes that you may see. The Laodicean church, Laodicean church thought they were wealthy. They thought everything was fine, but he said, you're really poor. You see, the blessing of righteousness far, far outweighs uh, any kind of privilege that we might have in this world. Lastly, how do we respond to the doctrine of diversity? Well, diversity, of course, is when uh, we're told, well, you should have uh, the same amount of black people as white people or uh, same amount, and usually it's black and white, they don't really uh, consider the Asians and the, and the uh, Mexicans and so on so much as black and white. Well, that of course in itself is a problem, but uh, this idea of diverse means a variety, or a range of different things. Well, there's none of us equal. We have, there's a range of different things. We have tall people and short people and white people and narrow people. Uh, well. That's diversity. And uh, we have uh, talented people, talents, some talents here, some talents there. You know, diversity of talents. We have, so why all, why just in skin color? Why does it matter? Well, how should we respond to the doctrine of diversity and skin color? We should reject it. Because, Scripture says, go into all the world and teach all nations. Uh, Mark says every creature. Adam Clark says about this uh, Matthew 16, or Mark 16 rather, uh, and preach the gospel to every creature, proclaim the glad tidings of Christ crucified and raised from the dead unto all creation, to the Gentile world, for this is the sense of the Greek here. It, often, it is often understood among the rabbins. 
In other words, it's understood among the Jews, this every creature. Well, all nations, the word nations is the root of the word Gentile. It is the word, uh, the word Gentile. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angel for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. When we're in the kingdom, diversity, that is, how we all look alike or uh, all of our uh, physical characteristics are out the window. It doesn't matter. In Christ, there is no Jew or Greek, bond or free, male or female. Now, there really are males and females. There really are Jews and Greeks and bond or free, but there are no consequences. We're all equal, on equal footing in our salvation to God. When the apostles went to Philippi, they didn't say, well, I, I wonder if we could find a bunch of women and convert them. No, they went down by the riverside where there was a congregation, where there was people having uh, worship. Now, there just happened to be women there. And, uh, and perhaps that's even why they were by the riverside, because they were women. But be that as it may, their purpose was to convert people. And uh, we don't ever set out to have a congregation of just black people or just white people. Any more than we have a, a, a goal of saying, well, I want half white people and half black people. Or half men or half women. We set out to preach the gospel to convert souls. Now, of course, because Jesus is here, we're trying to uh, spend time uh, converting Mexicans. Why? Because we think there's a good opportunity there and he has skill in that, in that way. This doctrine of diversity and inclusion is an insidious evil. Those who are motivated are not interested in black and white. If we spend just a little time looking at uh, the, what they really are promoting, they are trying to incorporate all kinds of evil in our society because after they get you to agree that there should be so many black people and so many white people, they will also say, well, you need to have so many homosexuals, you need to have so many transgenders, you need to, and every other kind of, any kind of evil you can imagine is going to be on the table. We're only interested in faithful people. We need more faithful people. Doesn't matter whether they're black, doesn't matter whether they're white, or anything in between. Ephesians 1, 1, Paul says, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Colossians 1 verse 2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are at Colossae. In fact, Lydia, one of these ladies that was converted down by the riverside in Philippi, she says, if you judge me faithful, come to my house and stay. Jesus said, be thou faithful to death and I will give you a crown of righteousness. In then also, these that wage war, this is later in the Revelation, these that wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. You know, love is not jealous. It doesn't have these motives of greed and jealousy and uh, sadness because someone has something more than you. I'm happy when my children make more money than I do. I don't say, well, 
the Lord's really blessing them. Boy, he's blessing me, and I think that's just unfair. No, I just think that's great. Maybe they'll have a little to take care of me in my old age. That's really not the motive. It's just like, we're just happy that God blesses them. So in conclusion, the things that we have been studying in the last uh, yesterday and all day today uh, have been promoted by words that on the surface seem to be fine. Who can say anything against social justice? Well, that's nice. Who's against justice? In fact, we're always for justice because God is always just. So therefore, how can social justice be sinful? Who can say that black lives don't matter? Anyone who has an evil heart would think black lives don't matter. So again, these, these statements are made because... On the surface, they look uh, benign. They look good, actually. But with a little examination, we can learn that the Black Lives Matter are not concerned with black lives and that critical race theory is not concerned with racism. This is a common tactic of the devil. He tries to use your morals and your principles against you. He couches evil in language that on the surface sounds good. And therefore, if we only give it a surface view, we will not be aware of the evil we are promoting. On this subject, we should be wise. On every subject, we should be wise and examine what really is being promoted and uh, lest we be promoting evil. Now, what Jesus said is diamet diametrically opposed about the poor people and the wealthy and the soul. So on, it's diametrically opposed against Karl Marx. And uh, let's stand with Jesus. Thank you.